Welcome to the Unsafe Space Podcast. What you're about to hear is an audio version of our weekly show, Deprogrammed, which is live streamed on YouTube every Thursday at 11 a.m. Pacific. You can find Deprogrammed and other unsafe content on the Unsafe Space YouTube channel. If you enjoy these conversations, please consider supporting Unsafe Space by visiting unsafespace.com. Thanks for listening. Now, here's Deprogrammed. All right. Welcome, everyone, to Deprogrammed on Unsafe Space. I am your co-host, Carter Laren, and I am joined by, as always, the bad mamma jamma, Carrie Smith. Carrie. Hi, Carter. Hi, guys. Wait, let me make sure they can see you, too. There we go. Okay. <laughs> we, uh, oh, I guess I should do the follow us stuff. We're at Unsafe Space on Twitter. Follow us there. Um, thank you guys. You helped us get over the, uh, our first kind of major milestone on YouTube was 500 followers. Our next goal Woo! is 1,000. Um, so thank you guys. You helped, uh, you helped get us there. So, and Kara, I think you tweeted out. So it was all, it was your peeps. That that helps get us there. Yay! I'm pretty excited. I don't, you know, these little milestones are the most important ones. So I'm going to celebrate all of them. I got excited yeah. when we got negative comments. Yeah, yeah. Um, I look so so. We've spent the last. I just, you know, I feel like we've interviewed feminists for the last three weeks in a row, and I'm kind of tired of it. As much as they were all great. Um, so maybe maybe we need to get some. Uh, I don't know, some burly men in to talk about guy stuff. Huh. But in the meantime, hmm. uh, interesting. You know, hmm. yeah. I'm just, you know, not that, not that I don't love the women, but uh, um, yeah. There's too many. There's been too many feminists. Um, <laughs> I want to maybe get men's rights people in. But uh, regardless, Carrie and I, uh, we kind of feel like we just need to get caught up with each other and with the audience because there's been a lot of, um, a lot of stuff going on in the news. Also, like lots of weird threads on Twitter and Facebook and people complaining about stuff or stuff people want to talk about. So this is just kind of a show where we're going to take a break from, um, you know, interviewing feminists <laughs> and uh, and rant. And Carrie's going to rant a little bit. So, hey, yeah. Lou. Lou is, our, um, Lou is the first and probably only monetary supporter of the show at this point. So, Lou, you can just suggest any topics, and we're basically your slaves because you, uh, you own us. But, um, yeah, so, uh, Carrie, I don't want to, like, tell you what you have to rant about, but on our list here, uh, the number, the first thing is uh, Kyle Corver's, I don't even know if I have, that's how you, I don't follow basketball, I assume that's how you say his name, Kyle Corver's white privilege article. Would you like to... Uh, do you have anything to say about it? You want to tell people what this was and uh, and maybe launch into a rant? <laughs> I, I might be ranted out because I was ranting yesterday. But yeah, Kyle Korver is, uh, I wasn't familiar with him beforehand either, a white basketball player who wrote this essay that all of the elite SJWs and the blue checkmark journalists are all excited about and um, everyone is talking about it like it's uh, this amazing piece of writing it's called privileged and if anything a white guy writes that where he's guilty of shit is an amazing piece of writing it's an amazing nowadays. piece of writing yes <laughs> and so 
It's uh, basically, I think it's the equivalent. I said, it's like his, it's basically the equivalent of in a, ba- in a Baptist church, like during the benediction, when a non-believer walks down the aisle and then confesses all their sins and accepts Jesus into their heart, except <laughs> what he's confessing is his privilege. And in this religion, in SJW religion, there is no God, there is no grace, there's no redemption. That's really, I think it's like that moment where, and, and all the, all the congregations all excited. That's all the other SJWs all excited. Like, welcome into the fold. You know, we've got another you know, one. You used this analogy yesterday and I didn't think of it at the time, but I grew up in a Baptist church, partly until my father started his own cult. Um, and uh, <laughs> I remember for another day. <laughs> <laughs> that's a story for my therapist. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, uh, I remember being in, it was one of those Baptist church where they, I get up out of the aisle and dance and, and kind of go crazy. And I remember I was a runner um, back when I weighed half as much as I do now. I, I ran a lot and um, I had hurt my ankle. And I remember as, you know, I was in either late junior high or early high school. And I remember the pressure um, of, they were claiming they could do healings. It was that kind of Baptist church, right? So wow. that the preacher would like lay his hands on you and, anoint you with oil and and heal you. And people were going up to the front getting healed. And I remember feeling so much pressure to go up and get healed and then pretend like it worked because everyone really like believed that and wanted that. And I would get so much like credit for being a good person and being a believer and God must love me if this was happening. And I did. I remember like I like hobbled up on crutches Mm -hmm. (laughs) and the guy like put his oil on my ankle and I remember like walking back without crutches and I remember my, my, my uh, just trying to shut off the pain centers in my brain so that I could like, make it back and look like everything was fine. <laughs> it was horrible. It was a horrible experience. I'm scarred for life. And so well, uh, that it is anyone... that, that social pressure. Yeah, it is. Anyway, I didn't mean to, uh, I didn't mean to divert. I did. I meant to tell a little story cause it's just a fun day. Um, tell me, tell so tell people about this article um, that uh, Kyle Corver. <clears throat> tell tell me about his redemption. Um, well, and I'm sorry, I as you know, I'm a little distracted because I do have a lot of dogs here today, and we're gonna figure this out in the future where I can put them where they won't disrupt us. But right now, I'm like, I've got a bunch of treats here, and I'm just I'm listening, and I'm also trying to keep them quiet. <laughs> so I apologize, guys. And my neighbors. That's are- right. They're doing something outside, which has these, has all of them really like, they're all like wandering around trying to see what's happening. Um, so Kyle Korver. Well, the yeah, title of the article is Privileged. Let's start with privileged. that. Let's start there. It's just the basic um, white man coming into the SJW fold piece. I've seen countless SJW conversions. It really is like a religious conversion. So what he's done now is basically said, you know, I recognize my white privilege. And what, what I find interesting about these pieces when, when somebody comes into the fold is I've always looked to see what are the practical things that they think they can do about this so-called privilege, you know, that, that, that so what, what is, what is, what are they advocating doing? Because most of the time, all they're doing is just confessing it and talking about it. And now, Hey, I'm one of the good guys, right? It's just a virtue signaling thing. But at the end of his essay, he did have a few things and it's the standard things. It's like, uh, and now my job is to listen to the marginalized people. Shut up. I think that yeah. was the conclusion. Yeah. <laughs> is to shut up and listen to the mar- And 
and uh, you know, to make space, it makes space for the marginalized people. And um, I think it's, it's, this is, well, this ideology is about control. We've talked about this before. And so now, now that he's in the fold, here's what's going to happen. Now you're always beholden to the mob. Okay. You're always, this is why I don't like Beto. He, Beto from here from Texas, you know, is running for president. <laughs> He's such a slimy little empty. He's like an empty vessel. And what I is think we should call him Beta because that's how I view him. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Beta. But he's he's just this little slimy, empty shell. And uh, SJWism has been pumped inside of him. And so now he's beholden to it. That's why I don't trust. He's always going to be beholden to that ideology. So when they demand that you apologize, you apologize. Like they own right. you now. They own you now. And And you're now, if the mob comes for you, you're going to have to bend the knee and kiss the ring every time. You're going to start filtering all of your thoughts and actions through this ideology. It is like a cult. Like you're, you're, you're going to be self-censoring from now on. So, so can we just, I want to, I want to actually dig into something that he said in his article, but also I want to, um, I want to just be clear. He cited two examples of racism as justification for his shift in thinking. Um, but both of them were not examples of racism. Can, and the first one was, um, his teammates getting arrested, uh, and the second one was an inter interaction with a fan. So can you, you know these stories well? I mean, I can try and go through them, but... Well, yeah, so one of them was a, um, outside of a, a club in the wee hours of the morning, a different basketball player and his girlfriend got into some altercation, and then some random dude and his friend started fighting with them and ended up cutting them, like stabbing them. And when the cops came and then they basically were like, they, you know, declared this part's a crime scene. Um, and this, this uh, friends of friends of Kyle Corver, some other two other basketball players were there, one black, one white. So the black guy, they both get arrested. They both get put in handcuffs. The black guy, because they won't leave the crime scene. The, the cops wrestle him to the ground and in the course of wrestling him to the ground, because he's, he's resisting arrest. He resists getting arrested. Yeah. Right. So he breaks part of his ankle or something. And he ended up suing and won a lot of money for it, which fine, if, if, the, if the jury found that the cops were in the wrong on that, you know, great, it's up to a jury to decide. But, um, but what Kyle Corver took was, from this was that, that if he had been there as a white guy, he, he wouldn't have been arrested. I'm like, this is another one of those things where I'm like, wait, we don't have to imagine what would happen because there was a white basketball player there and he was arrested. And he was <laughs> yeah. what are you talking about it's, it's total it's total just fantasy world of like if yeah, yeah. well yeah. i know that it wouldn't happen to me i'm like no it would have happened we know that it would have happened right. to you you're a piece of shit twice yeah. as tall as me probably but you're full of shit yeah like like it's not it, it's not because of the their his race a black guy and a white guy got arrested it's because they wouldn't listen to the cops orders and leave the crime scene. So and right. whether those cops were being overly aggressive or not, again, to say it had something to do with race, I think is, is, is wrong. And so, but he says it has to do with race. So, and so that, so the second thing he said had to do with race was this interaction of another teammate of his who was black with a fan. Do you want to talk about that one? Cause that one also I thought was kind of interesting, although you don't have to. Um, well, yeah, that one I looked up because I want to know what I'm talking about, right? So I looked that one up too. Well, that makes you not social justice right away. <laughs> well, <laughs> That's the problem with you, Carrie. 
that's that's my the new Carrie is insists on looking things up. Uh, it was much easier when I was SJW. I was just like, Wait, what, what so do I think easy. about this? Oh, okay, yeah. that's what I think. Uh, yeah, so I looked that one up, and it was a a, a black basketball player who um, apparently has a history of getting into arguments with uh, fans. And the most recent argument was a few weeks ago or something. And uh, he's he said the fan, he basically was threatening this fan and his wife, a, a white guy and his wife, saying, you know, he's going to mess them both up or whatever. Um, that part was caught on camera. What wasn't caught on camera was what the fan was saying to him beforehand. Well, and he says it was race-based. He says it was uh, that the white, the white fan said something about um, get on your knees again or, or something like that and, or take a knee again. I don't know, but I don't understand how that, even if that's what the fan said, I don't understand how that's race-based, but the fan says he wasn't saying, the fan said, no, he was wearing in the video, you can see he's wearing these like what looks like ice packs on his knees. And the fan said he was yelling like, sit down and take a, you know, ice, go ice your knee, you know, taunting right. him. But his knees were hurt. Right. And that, and he like, said, go, away. That, go take care of your injuries. Stop arguing with me. Yeah. Right. And that the player yelled back at him, which I think is funny if this actually happened, that it wasn't ice packs. It was something heat related, which in the middle of an altercation, I don't know if that right. even sounds plausible. <laughs> that yeah, he didn't say that it's not ice packs. It's a heat pad. <laughs> but, uh, but so anyway, this, this again, seems something that's blown out of proportion. If that fan was yelling something racial, which, we don't know if he was or not. That's awful. And that's, that's horrible. Sure. And, but I, again, I don't, I don't understand how that's evidence of, of this uh, uh, privilege that he's talking about, like con that, that necessitates this kind of conversion that, that necessitates a belief that the entire society is structured, uh, tilted towards white supremacy, which is what this belief system alleges. And so it's like, yeah, there are racists out there. And yes, racism exists. And yes, some systems are still racist. I absolutely agree. But to think that the, um, to think that these two things that he mentioned are, are the catalyst for him converting. I'm like, it's, it's really one of those social pressure things. I yeah, believe. no, I, I, absolutely. I, I agree with you. Um, something else he said that struck me because I, you know, I tend to try and look at these the philosophical or moral statements people are making. Because people try and sound intellectual about things, especially like social justice warriors love to like redefine terms and kind of introduce us to things that are uh, redefine terms in a way that that fits their agenda. So he actually writes. You can see he's trying to do this in a way that will convince average people who really like aren't thinking too deeply about it, but so he just states some things. So he says, as white people, are we guilty of the sins of our forefathers? So he says, let me maybe back up. He says that we need to start differentiating between guilt and responsibility, right? And if you don't think about that, it's like, okay, those are two different words. So, so and then you follow his argument and he says, well, as white people, are we guilty of the sins of our forefathers? No, I don't think so. So he's reeling you in a little bit. Okay, yeah, we agree. We're not guilty of the sins of our forefathers, right? But are we responsible for them? Yes, I believe we are, he says. So I just wanna, I wanna clarify a few things. Um, go to the dictionary, that's all I did. <laughs> Look up the word responsible, right? <laughs> all of the definitions assume that it's something that is in your control over which you have power. 
So the first one, answerable or accountable as for something within one's power control or management, right? So this is the whole idea that, you know, there's even a phrase, um, you can't have uh, crap, which it's responsibility without authority or whatever it is, or like, I, I forget, there's some like people, something people complain about in management, I, for, I forget what it is, but it's like when they're making you responsible for something without giving you the ability to actually affect it, that's considered wrong because you can't be responsible for something that you don't have the power over. Um, so all the definitions in the dictionary are about, they, they all have this concept of you have power over it. So you can't be responsible for something over which you don't have power, like what ancestors did. Yeah, right? but, but this is why they've redefined power, you know? Like uh, Well, but I don't think their definition of power fixes this problem, right? Like I don't have power over what my ancestors did, even by their definition of power. I, so don't, they I, would say, I don't have control, right? I don't have would, control over what happened. But see, they would say right. as, as a result of what your supposedly your ancestors did, that you do have power, that you, you have systemic power. That's, that would be their answer. That you know- right, that but, but that's, that, that's an equivocation, right? So, they're, they're, so in the context of power here, I'm talking about control over the behavior that was wrong, right? <laughs> So I, agree. I may have benefits from it, but it's, it's an equivocation to say, well, you have power as a result, like power as a result of, of it is different from power uh, to change, to have changed it. Right. And guilt comes from the, like guilt is. So again, I also looked up guilt just to be clear. Um, <laughs> ironically, and well, ironically, but coincidentally enough, uh, one of the defin definitions of guilt actually uses the word responsibility, uh, a feeling of responsibility or remorse for some offense. So you have to have, you have to have responsibility in order to feel guilt. I mean, you can feel unearned guilt, even if you weren't responsible, which this uh, white basketball player is really good at. Um, but you have to, you have to have control to be, to assume responsibility. And we don't have control. And frankly, only 4% of the population were slave owners in the first place. Um, in when America founded, was founded. So most of these white people are not descendants of slave owners. And a lot of them are descendants of abolitionists. So they're not responsible for anything. Um, even if you could trace back responsibility to previous generations. Um, it, it's just a it's, a, it's a nasty little trick that he's trying to do where it's like, don't worry, I'm not asking you to feel guilty, but I am asking you to be responsible for. And I, I think one of the problems with white culture is, you know, I don't know what it is. I, maybe Jewish people do this as well because there's a lot of guilt in, in Judaism and Christianity. But like, stop feeling unearned guilt. You're guilty for your own actions. You're responsible for your own actions. You are not responsible for or guilty for anything anyone related to you did. Like none of your, your ancestors. You're not responsible. Your father could have been Hitler. You're not responsible. It's not your fault. Um, and you don't owe anything to anyone else because of it. Um, so this is a, it's a, it's a vile, vile uh, perspective. And, you know, this guy, Kyle Korver, is, uh, he is uh, a, playing into the problem. He's creating the problem and he's using his platform as a, I guess, famous white basketball player to, uh, try and get other white people to feel guilty that what some highly paid basketball players 
got into an argument with a fan or that some guy resisted arrest and <laughs> therefore got injured and then got monetary compensation from the cops for aggressive or excessive use of force. Yeah. Uh, it's your, also, it's your data rant. Sorry. No, I love that rant. I think you're, you're right. It is about guilt. And, the, and it's funny because they, SJWs will say it's not about guilt. Um, they actually are of the opinion. I like when I, t when I'm talking to like a new convert, and they're sort of trying to explain these redefinitions to me that I preached 20 years ago. I know the redefinition. I, I understand it. I just reject it. Um, right. But they try to, oh, maybe you don't understand. Let me tell you again. Racism equals, you know, prejudice plus power. Um, but when I talk to these new SJW, sometimes they'll say, well, you know, recognizing your white privilege doesn't mean you have to feel guilty. And it's like, because they assume that everyone feels guilty. I'm like, no, I don't feel guilty. I mean, that's all, like, there's no, there's sort of like, uh, actually, they'll say, sometimes they say your guilt is, is standing in the way of you recognizing your privilege, like get past your guilt. I'm like, yeah, I don't. But they don't want you to actually get past your guilt because they want you to yeah. shell out money and resources uh, because you're guilty. Right. I mean, so this, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Is there more to your rant? Because I'm going to go on a tangent. Okay. You're muted because your, your dogs are in, enjoying themselves. Um, this, so actually this morning at the breakfast table, I was talking to my daughter and she was talking about, um, she was actually talking about slavery because her teacher's reading a book about slavery. Um, and we started to talk about slavery and I said to her, well, actually, you know, uh, there's still slavery that exists today. And she said, what? And I said, well, yeah, you know, in Libya, there's uh, open air slave trading happening. And last, uh, last I heard about it for 400 bucks, you could buy someone. Um, and uh, she was, of course, appalled as she should be by this. But then we got into a discussion about slavery generally. And uh, we talked about the Muslim slave trade, which is, was much bigger than the European slave trade. And we talked about the history of slavery and we talked about uh, slavery being the norm. I mean, it's mentioned in the Bible. It's, it's the norm for, for, uh, for human society for, for thousands of years, there's been slavery. And, um, and she asked really, <laughs> I thought potent question and it broke my heart a little bit because obviously my daughter has white DNA. Um, mostly. Uh, she said, well, why are they focusing on white people being the slave? Like the, like, why are they focusing on like it being white people's fault? Um, and I think that's a really good question. And it spawned this discussion of like, well, why are they focusing on the, like white people? And I said, well, uh, I'm not sure of this, but like, I think if you go to um, someone from the Middle East of Muslim descent who is descended from the ancestors of slave traders, uh, and you try and convince them that they should feel guilty or even in Kyle's words, responsible for the oppression that their ancestors uh, foisted and, and were committed against slaves, I think they'll laugh at you. Um, I yeah. think they'll think you're ridiculous. And they right won't shallow. Right. They won't say, oh, you're right. We should, we should have quotas and we should have reparations and blah, blah, blah. They won't say any of that. They'll laugh at you. And we um, should shut up and make room and not talk. <laughs> right. Um, 
And, and, you know, my wife is Chinese. She grew up in China. And uh, my daughter was saying, you know, we were talking about that as well. And I said, you know, go to, go to anyone on her side of the family. Go to, well, go to China and accuse them of something their ancestors did and try and get them to feel guilty or responsible for it. They will also laugh at you, right? <laughs> it's, there's something about Western culture and I think there's some good things about feeling guilty and responsible because it does, it does make you, um, you know, maybe be a little more introspective about your own behavior and actions. But there's something horribly destructive about the willingness to feel responsible for stuff that's not your fault. Um, yeah. Whether or not there's a privilege of being, you know, there's privilege for uh, growing up rich, there's privilege. Uh, growing up seven feet tall so that you're more likely to be able to join the NBA. Like there's privilege in, in lots of the accidents of life and nature, um, depending on who you're born to and where you, you know, being born in the U S is privilege for any color it's skin. Absolute privilege. I, um, I got into a conversation about this yesterday, Carter, believe it or not, <laughs> get into a lot of these conversations. But uh, this was as a result of someone talking, we were talking about equity versus equality of opportunity. And mm. I mean, I think that's, that's at one point he gave an example that was like, you know, I met this guy at my college or something who he had to struggle to get there. You know, whereas I was born into this upper middle class family and I didn't have the same struggle of arriving at that school. And, and my answer to him is like, yes, that's life. Like every individual is privileged in some ways and marginalized in some ways. That's what life is. You're all going to suffer in some way. <laughs> You're all going to be privileged in some way. You have different struggles. That's what, that's what life is about. The most you can do. I believe in inequality of opportunity. We should remove all legal barriers that prevent people from being equal in a society, which I think we've done. You know, I, I'm like, I don't know what more. I think we've added some more that make more, some people more yeah. equal than others. But we actually have, we've added a few more, but, um, but that's the most you can do. Now, someone who believes in equity, who believes in equality of outcome, uh, you know, he was sort of, he wasn't fully arguing for this, but he was basically saying, well, there are other barriers. There are, are social barriers and economic barriers. And, and that's true. But, but you, the government, it's not the government's job to fix social barriers. It's not the government's job to fix all, you know, it's it, the government, the most we can do is to make sure the laws treat everyone equally. And then if you start trying to um, impose, like lift these people up and push these people down, it becomes this, this really uh, authoritarian country where you're going to peep, you're, like you said, you're going to be adding laws that actually make things unequal. Uh, there's a, it's like that Kurt Vonnegut short story, um, Harrison yes. Bergeron, where yeah. the, the really talented dancers are weighted down with heavy weights because they don't want any dancer to be better than, the, than another dancer. You know, and the really attractive people have to wear masks because you don't want anyone to be more attractive than the next person. And, and so that's, that's a, I, that short story is amazing. I know we've talked about it before because I think that's a story about equity. And that's a quality of, of outcome. And, and by the way, why would you want to live in a place with a quality of outcome? What's the point? <laughs> well, I, and, and you can't, I mean, and the, the point of that story is you can't do it with the only way to obtain a quality of outcome is to, to, to cripple um, the, the people who are best at things. It reminds me, um, Yaron Brook, who used to be, he's a 
uh, friend, not super close, but he used to be the president of the Ayn Rand Institute. And he, he talks, he goes on lecture tours a lot. And uh, he, the way that he described it, his kind of shortened version of that Kurt Vonnegut story was, he used to say, well, um, there is a way, this is he's dating himself because he's going to talk about Michael Jordan, but uh, <laughs> I'm dating him. But he, he said, Who's there that? is a way to be equal to Michael Jordan in basketball, on the basketball court. Chop his legs off. Mm. Like, then we'll be equal. <laughs> he might still beat me, but it'll be a lot close, closer, right? Yeah. Um, and, the, you know, that's the, that's the truth of the matter. And, you know, some of it is environmental, but some of it is, there's, are, there's genetic differences between people, people who are born in different environments. Life isn't fair and life isn't equal. Um, but that doesn't, you know, that doesn't give you the right to violate someone else's rights because you feel like you're pissed off that you were born a certain way um, right. or into a family or whatever. Um, and I think people, I think people forget that some of these struggles are um, health. I may, I would say healthier than others. That guy had to struggle to get to college. I bet he really appreciates where he's at and what he's earned more than someone who didn't, you know, I, I'm sure he learned things through that struggle. I, I know some of the most wealthy, like, privileged people I know, like famous or with a certain amount of social power or what have you, they're some of the most miserable people I've ever been around. So that's a struggle, like misery and addiction and, you know, self-hatred and all that. It's like, which, which people never, I don't know. It's like, you're, you're sort of saying, oh, wait, this person, you shouldn't have to do struggles where it's like, you have to work hard to get somewhere. Well, yeah, maybe we should. Maybe that's the right kind of struggle to have rather than sitting around like, with no pro no, nothing that it that requires hard work from you and then struggling with you know mental yeah. problems or, or whatever yeah no i mean fundamentally i think the the whole idea of equality of outcome is just nihilism um because in nature there is no equality of outcome um you can't actually do it without destroying the best like you basically all have to be dead when you're all dead you're equal yes. other than that you're not equal <laughs> Right? Yeah. Um, and so it's just nihilism. There is no way to make outcomes equal unless you, in, unless you want to just have a giant thermonuclear war and we can all die, then we'll be equal. Um, but that's about it. Yeah. Well, what's that saying? They, they want us all to be equal in the rubble. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Bodies are all equal. I'll give them that. Right. <laughs> but uh, I don't know. Um, so I think we've addressed the Kyle, uh, the Kyle Corver thing. Um, Yost says uh, in the chat, says Dave, Dave Rubin used to say last year that he thought, quote, we were winning the culture war. He doesn't say this anymore. He seems to fear that we're close to dystopia. What's your, your view on this? <laughs> I mean, uh, that's, a, I, that's a really tough question. Carrie, before I rant on it, do you have any views on this? Uh, it depends on the day you ask me. <laughs> I mean, seriously, some days I'm like, oh, they're winning and because things have gone so far, I mean, look at what's happening in schools. That's what really concerns me is what's happening in public schools, that they're programming these kids, they're indoctrinating them at a younger and younger age. It's happening in kindergarten now. It's not college anymore, it's kindergarten. Um, yeah. So, uh, I mean, I saw a case last week was where uh, the right before Thanksgiving, these parents were sent a notice that their kids, like from kindergarten through, sixth grade or whatever would be watching these uh films about about picking your own gender 
about transgenderism and they had to opt out, but it, because it was sent right before Thanksgiving, the email, and it was buried way down in the email, a lot of parents didn't even see it. Um, and then the ones who did see it and who opted out, a parent went there that day to see what was happening and they it didn't matter that they opted out. Their kids were watching the videos, you know, kindergartners. So wow. I, that's happening in public schools. And there was another, there were a couple different stories that I saw like that this week where it's just, I think parents are just starting to get to clue, get a, get a clue about what's going on. They're starting to come into contact with the ideology in one form or another. And uh, because it's being packaged as inclusion and diversity and it's being impact, like packaged as these, you know, social justice these really positive sounding things. Nobody, you have to really look at it to see how nefarious it is. So uh, I guess I'm, I'm rambling a bit here, but that is the, when I look at what's happening in schools, that's what makes me feel pessimistic. However, when I look at what's happening in kind of this, uh, uh, this new punk rock culture, as Paul Joseph Watson calls it, but like this new kind of counterculture that's pushing back against it, that makes me feel positive. Like the, like generation Z, I've seen some statistics that say they're going to be the most conservative since the, um, since the greatest generation. I don't know if that's true or not, but that's definitely, definitely, if it is, it's a response to what's going on right now. And with the millennial culture, you know, um, I do think the funniest humor, the, the best comedy that's happening right now is conservative or it's people pushing back against the PC narrative. Um, it's, it's even look at, look at Babylon B. I mean, it's so much funnier than the onion. That's a Christian satire site and they're killing it. But that makes sense because the best comedy is always, is always poking fun at the sacred cows. And so if you're living in a time where PC is the norm, then it's going to be the Christian and, and conservatives who are doing the best comedy. Whereas, you know, if you're living in a really conservative time uh, or time or place, then it's going to be the liberals who are doing the best. So that kind of stuff gives me hope though, because there's some really funny, um, really funny kind of counterculture uh, YouTubers and, and, and stuff that are becoming people that are becoming popular. Did, did that answer your question? Uh, well, it was, my, it was, it was Yost's question. I don't know if it answered his question. Uh, it answered my question about what you think about it. Um, I'll say that uh, I feel like a broken record talking about this, but, but I'm going to say it anyway. I mean, this isn't a new problem. This is, this is a result of, look, we decided to have publicly funded education a long time ago. That was a bad move because it separates the consumer from the person who's paying the bill, right? Always a bad move, right? A horrible move. We decide public education and we think, oh, it's okay. The governments will just teach the three R's. That'll be great. Then we had really bad philosophers start preaching crap in philosophy departments in university. We ignored that. Then it leaked into other humanities. We ignored that. Then it leaked over into the whole university and into the into media and culture and, you know, Walter Duranty spreading Soviet propaganda. We ignored that. Then it leaked into the high schools. We ignore that. Now, finally, it's in kindergartens and we're like, oh, this is crap. Yeah. It's like, yeah, but you know what? If you want to feel responsible for something generational, your ancestors let this crap in. And like, I don't feel guilty for that because like I said, I don't feel guilty for anything my ancestors did and I'm not responsible for it. But, you know, 
this is the inevitable result of decades and decades, if not over a century, of bad anti-enlightenment philosophy that um, pushes group ideology over individualism, pushes the government as solution to things. Um, and yeah, now you've got government schools where they're trying to convince kindergartners that sex changes are a good idea. Um, and so what, what the, I kind of feel like looking at everyone who's shocked by this, who didn't argue against the philosophy, and most of whom are dead, and kind of saying like, what the fuck did you expect? This is the result, right? Mm -hmm. And people were telling you for decades, this was the result. That's where we are. Um, I am optimistic by Gen Z because I think there is a backlash, right? I think it's like, okay. There's a backlash coming. Yeah. Uh, the flip side is uh, I also have my days where I'm, I'm not optimistic. There's a, I don't know if, if anyone on the, if people are familiar with the term uh, collapsitarian, um, but <laughs> there's this guy that I just uh, started following on Twitter um, who's a collapsitarian. He's not the first collapsitarian I've heard of, but I think it's starting to gain momentum. Um, and basically it's this idea that like, <clears throat> yes, Western culture can be saved, but only after a massive collapse. It's going to get worse before it gets better. There's going to be a massive collapse. Save your ammo. Uh, move to Montana and start over. I mean, that's, the, that's kind of the, the mindset. In fact, I don't know if we talked about this, Carrie, but with the Yang gang, something I noticed about... Uh, so some of the people that are in the Yang gang are, uh, you know, pro... What's his name? Alan Yang, whatever his name is, the, the candidate. Uh, yeah, so for people who don't know, there's this guy running for president named Yang. I mean, I just learned yeah. about him. Andrew Yang? Yeah, so it, he, it's, he's got, I think it's Alan Yang. I'm not, yeah. I'm not sure of his first name, but uh, he, um, one of his, his, his uh, positions is universal basic income. He wants to give everyone a thousand bucks a month. And his argument is like, well, government prints money for big banks. They should print money for, for this. Um, now, obviously, the right response is they shouldn't be printing money for big banks either. But um, so he's like, okay, we'll just we'll just print money. And interestingly enough, I was wondering. I saw some people who I knew were not on board with UBI suddenly put on the Yang Gang hats and like have a bunch of Yang Gang um, memes on their accounts. And I was I was wondering what the hell was going on. And as it turns out, I investigated a little bit. Um, there's a large percentage of the Yang Gang people who are basically collapsitarians, and they're just like screw it. We're going to take the thousand bucks. We're going to, we're going to vote for Yang. We're going to get him in office. We're going to take the thousand bucks a month. And they said this explicitly, we're going to take the thousand bucks a month and we're going to use it to buy ammo and <laughs> everything will collapse and we'll have more ammo than everyone else. And we'll just, you know, institute, we'll defend ourselves and, and, you know, presumably build some libertarian like society somewhere. Um, so I, I don't know. I do waver between, uh, I, I think this is a really funny. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I'm trying to figure out the Yang thing too. And after you told me that, I have a friend who is a part of the Yang gang, I guess, online. And I was like, are you, are you supporting him ironically? <laughs> like, because that's what I heard. And he, he's, he's like, no, like I really support. And he gave me some stuff to read. So I, I've got to do some more research on this dude. Yeah. But uh, uh, of course, some people do support him, you know, legitimately. Yeah. Um, but I think, I, I think even a lot of the people that are pretending to support him legitimately, probably, maybe not your friend, but uh, a lot of them are just, they just, you know, they're not going to admit it. 
right? They, they, you, you see it at the beginning and they talk about it on 4chan. And then from then on, I've seen them in, like, I've seen this guy that I, I know, um, who I know is supporting him. Like, if you want to call that ironically, but like from a collapsitarian perspective, I see him interact with people online and he doesn't, he just makes arguments for why UBI is a good idea. <laughs> he just, you know. He doesn't do it with irony. That's really funny. No, he just supports whatever Yang says. He's like, this is totally right, right? What so, an interesting um, time we're living in. It is weird, right? <laughs> um, I, I don't know. Should I be depressed? I guess my ultimately my answer is the same as yours. Depends on the day. Yeah. I'm, I mean, I think there's more people. Somebody asked me on Twitter yesterday, one of our listeners, uh, Jane was like, what do we do? Like, what can we do? I know people have asked that about the podcast before. It's, it's all well and good that you and I sit here and try to untangle it and explain what it is, but what can we do? And my simple answer to that is, I mean, this is, it, you have to speak. You, you can't let them silence you. You have to speak and you have to tell people what this belief system really is. That's what I, that's why I'm doing this. That's why you're doing this. Um, and if you can't, because you have a legitimate fear, if you have a job or something you have to protect, then support the people who, are speaking, you know, there are, support the people who are, who, who are out there without that fear or for whatever reason have feel like I, you know, I have the ability to do this. So I'm going to do this. I was giving money to uh, Peterson for over a year, you know, per month. There's just a little bit, but it, it means something. So you can contribute. I think even if you're not able to use your voice at this time for whatever reason, but there are more people every day using that voice. And that makes me that makes me feel good. Like there are more YouTubers that I follow. There are more people who are doing, um, uh, journal, you know, their own type of journalism, like Tim pool. There, are, there are people out there who, uh, every day there are more of them, I guess I put it that way. So I feel like it's, it's in that, from that perspective, it's getting better. That's also the, why they're trying to, the social media giants are trying to clamp down on free speech is because all these people are gaining followings. And so, they're shadow banning, they're censoring, they're um, demonetizing. And, um, you know, Google is messing with search algorithms to determine what you get to see and what you don't. So um, they recognize that they recognize the threat of, of this kind of new media as well. Yeah, I mean, and I, I would argue, the thing to do about it, and, and I've, I've made this argument before, but uh, the, th the thing to do about it is, is do what we're doing, right? It's to talk about it. It's to arm people with the analysis that unravels this stuff and reveals it to be the crap that it is and the nihilism that it is underneath. And, um, you know, to, to, to change the culture around you, right? Just a few people around you. Like we're trying to do this online to hopefully reach more people as we grow. But, you know, we're having this discussion partly because, you know, and, and actually, we know this has happened from this discussion. We've had people reach out to us and say, hey, you've explained this. Now I'm like arguing with people in my life about it and like standing up for this stuff. And so, um, you know, it's, it's about having these discussions. It's not about politics. It's about culture. I mean, ultimately, it's about philosophy. But, I agree. But it's really about culture. Um, and, uh, you know, there's the Andrew Breitbart, you know, politics is downstream of culture. I, I think of it, there's a different way that I kind of think about it. Uh, I tend to think of politics, a political system as an emergent property of a culture. So um, this is why, even though I'm an anarcho-capitalist and I, I believe there should be no government, 
eventually. Um, I don't think that abolishing the government tomorrow is a good idea because the culture would just, a worse government would emerge from the culture um, because our culture is not, um, our culture is not supportive of the non-aggression principle generally. And so the more we can start moving culture towards uh, this idea of individualism um, and a return to, to the kind of ideas of the enlightenment and, um, and push back against this group and group think and collectivism, uh, the better. And you can do that just through arguing with people. You can do that through, you know, when you read this article, if you follow basketball and you've got basketball buddies and someone says, hey, did you read Kyle Corver's article? You can push back just by saying, what a piece of shit. And maybe they won't even, like, maybe they won't even argue with you after that. Because a lot of people, they expect you to not have an opinion or to have the kind of generic opinion. And sometimes all you have to do is say, I don't agree. That sucks. And like, it jars them. They're like, what? what? Yeah. Cause what? they're not used to there's, if they're in this cult or if they're in around, if they're in a city where it's predominant, like I am in Austin, um, they're not used to people having a different opinion. So you don't have to say it with so much force. I don't think you have to call them a piece of shit. <laughs> I'm kidding. But, but, but I get the what you're saying. The more force you say it with, the more impactful it is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, I mean, I had this happen recently in my real life where somebody, I say real life, meaning not online, not on video, but uh, this friend was talking, she, she designs clothes and she had this really beautiful top and I said something about the top and she was like, oh, I know, I just, I hope it's not, people don't view it as culturally appropriating because I guess I had some Native American elements to it in the design and I, and I was just like, that's a load of nonsense, you know? And it did, it was just startled her because because everyone accepts that cultural appropriation is a thing, right? Um, no. So you, you definitely can have those moments with people where you just kind of have a different opinion. And uh, I think you can do so forcefully or kind of subtly or, yeah. Right. But, you know, whatever you do, if you, if you push back, uh, it will matter. And if you have kids, I don't believe in indoctrinating kids for any particular thing. So like, I'm an atheist. I'm an anarcho-capitalist. Um, my daughter, I've, you know, we've had plenty of conversations. If she wants to go to church or she wants to, you know, be religious, that's fine. If she wants to be a socialist, that's fine. Um, and sometimes I check in with her and just like reassure her that she can think differently from me and that's okay. Um, now she doesn't probably because she knows how I, I mean, I'm sure I still have an influence on her. I'm not saying that she doesn't you know, reacts to what her, her dad's morals are, but her grandparents have a very different set of beliefs. And, and when, when there's a conflict, I don't tell her like, I'm right or they're stupid. I just say like, oh, well ask them about it. And what do you think? And you know, you know what I think about this. What do you think about it? Ask them, or could they be right about this? Could I be wrong about that? Um, and I think ultimately, um, you know, teaching your kids to think critically and independently and push back on narratives um, and, and not put people up on a pedestal. Like she no, my daughter no longer thinks that just because you're a teacher, you're right. <laughs> um, and she sees through a lot of stuff and it's not because she's smarter than other people. It's because she's been taught to use her own brain and she'll call me out on crap. Sometimes we all, we all make mistakes and do, do stuff and you gotta, you know, instead of doubling down and being like, because I said so, or because I'm the parent, if you get caught, you gotta be like, yeah, you just, 
you won that argument. You can have your ice cream, right? That was your like, modeling behavior there. Yeah. Okay. I lost. Touche. Fair point. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that's something okay. you can do, I guess. Let's do more ranting. What, what else were we well, going to rant on about? My list, it, next on my list isn't really a rant, but it is. Um, and I definitely want to get to Julian Assange. There's so much shit I want to get to today. Um, the next one's just like a really, I should be short. There's been some pushback of like people saying, why did you have Megan Murphy on the show? She's a Marxist, um, blah, 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 blah. And some kind of snarky comments like, oh, you know, I don't like pizza. You don't like tacos. Let's, let's go out for steak. That's the mindset, right? Um, look. Somebody said that? Look, first of all, we didn't have Megan Murphy on the show to talk about Marxism. If we had, it would have been a debate. Um, and we might still all, do that because I think that would be very interesting. I, I would like Right, to we might, but then it would be a debate, right? Um, but primarily, look, Carrie and I don't even agree on everything. <laughs> In fact, Carrie and I don't agree on some fundamental things, um, like God, <laughs> right? So, like, if, if we only, if I was going to have a show where I only talked to people who 100% agreed with me and Carrie was only going to have a show with people who 100% agreed with her, we wouldn't have a show. There would be no one to talk to. So we talk to people about specific topics that we're interested in and when we think they have something to add. Um, and so I think Megan Murphy had something to add on trans activism from the perspective of how it affects women. And, and she had something to add about censorship because she's experienced it. So, so I didn't like, see these comments where they, they were coming from like a conservative maybe? Uh, yeah, there was some from conservatives. There were some comments from a socialist who was mad that we had her on because they were a trans, they, no, they were an intersectionalist and they were mad that she was oh. a quote. Uh, we had some of that as well. Um, oh, well, I'm shocked there are intersectionalist SJWs watching us, um, but I'm happy. I hope, I hope they watch. Um, yeah, well, I, I don't know. Yeah, but they were, they were pissed off uh, about that. Um, but, you know, my point is, I don't, we're not, I don't think the truth is fragile. Uh, so I'm not afraid of like, I'm not afraid of a Marxist coming on and saying like, uh, I don't know, from each according to his ability and to each according to his need and like suddenly feeling like, oh my God, they just undermined my entire position and people will be convinced. Like that's a crappy, unconvincing argument and I can push back on it. And like, I'm not afraid to have, uh, yeah. other arguments on the show. Uh, that's, so that's the whole thing you know, about this. Uh, I'm sorry to cut you off, but you, you're just making me think about um, that's the whole reason I left SJWism is so that because that's right. a conformist ideology. You can only have the acceptable opinions, right? Right. Yeah. And so, so it's almost like like when I saw people get mad at Jordan Peterson because he tweeted what he tweeted about Kavanaugh. I don't know if people followed this, but basically he said he was answering a question that one of the Weinsteins um, or Weinsteins uh, asked, which was how do we heal this country? It was during the Kavanaugh thing. And he was thinking out loud on Twitter and was like, maybe if he gets confirmed for the nomination, he should step down. And I completely disagreed with that. And I know a lot of people who did, and he ended up writing more about it. And I think, you know, it was like, I'm just, I was offering thoughts, which I may or may not agree with like a, like a, thinking about something, I forget the way he said it, but it's not necessarily a prescription. It's just kind of laying it out. It's, it, I'm not telling you this is what has to happen, right? Um, but so I saw a lot of people turn on him then are like, oh, I'm not a Peterson fan anymore. 
And like Owen Benjamin, for example, who I also watch, took that really hard. But I couldn't understand that because I'm like, I thought the whole reason, if you like Peterson, don't you like, the whole point is that we should be able to have different opinions on things. We're not always going to agree, even on big well, things. And, so, yeah, and, and you like Peterson for certain things, right? Like Peterson's not a philosopher. I, I don't think he is a good philosopher. I don't think he's a great philosopher, but he, he, uh, he's a decent, obviously clinical psychology. He understands well, and he's got an interesting perspective on, on religion and, um, you know, and culture. And he's got some good things to say there. And I just don't agree with him about a bunch of stuff, but that doesn't mean I wouldn't have him on. He wants to come on the show and talk about lobsters. I'm all for it. Right. I'd um, love to have him. I he has him. some great things to say about a lot of topics. Um, well, I, and so I know. adore Megan Murphy as well. So I don't know if that's going to piss off some conservatives, but whatever. Um, I also adore several people who you would call conservatives. So it doesn't, I don't know. Anyway, that's a weird criticism, but you know what? It, I am excited that we have, we have viewers that are so different. I was afraid that we might just have like one type of. Well, I don't want an echo chamber because if we're just sitting in an echo chamber talking to each other about how like crappy social justice is, I mean, I guess that can expand to other people who think social justice is crappy. But like, we need to pull people in and have them hear arguments they haven't heard before and, and have people who are like, oh, I'm listening because I'm also a trans-exclusionary radical feminist. And maybe they happen <laughs> to listen someday when we, when, we, uh, when we talk about Marxism and say something that they're like, oh, gee, that's no. a, I hadn't thought. <laughs> Nobody's, I don't think anybody identifies as a turf, by the way. I think I know. It's something put on people. <laughs> but yeah, that's really funny. <laughs> Okay. Excuse me, I'm a little bit sick. <laughs> so that was that one. Um, I don't know if anyone has opinions on stuff that they want us to talk about. Uh, tell, tell us in chat. I, but have the, the, I, I got so, I got a list of some things. Okay. Mueller, I had a I had a thread about God and um, uh, morality with um, conservative millennial Ali Beth Stuckley. We, we had an argument on Twitter. There's some Ilan Omar stuff. Uh, there's the Liberty Bill in Texas. There's a Candace Owens, Candace Owens thing. And I want to talk about Julian Assange. So now that we're an hour in, there's like a shit ton of stuff. <laughs> what do you want to talk about, Carrie? Well, I thought Candace Owens, whether you, no matter what you think about here, here's another great example. I don't care if you like her or not. I thought she did a great job in front of, in, in Congress, was it yesterday or the day before, during the hearing oh, where no. it was a hearing on white supremacy and, uh, she basically said a few things, which I think are, she was like, you know, she read off some stats. She said, I don't, I don't know any adult who, who can, who can reasonably make, make the argument that we are living in a more racist time now than we were in the sixties. Like, you know, she was talking about her grandfather's time. And, and I was saying the same thing in a conversation with a friend the other day who was, who was talking about as a lesbian, you know, uh, every day I wake up and, face discrimination and my people, this, you know, my people, I'm like, but really, like, you, you're not. with a big, why did face discrimination? <laughs> face, <laughs> right, and fighting for my very lives, like that kind of language uh, that SJWs use, like fighting for our very lives. I'm like, you know what, It, it it's objectively less, uh, it, 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 it's not as hard for gays and lesbians today as it was 10 years ago, as it was 20 years ago, as it was 50 years ago, 100 years ago. Things are getting better, okay? But the left, the SJW left, has done a good job of terrifying people and making them feel like they're under this threat. And so, 
uh, whether that's because they're black or because they're gay, um, a lot of that happened in the ramp up to the 2016 election, this whole thing about, you know, if Trump gets elected, he's going to put everybody in camps and, you know, it's going to be, you're going to be living in this nightmare world, world. And nobody, nobody's living in that nightmare scape. I'm sorry. It's not that right. you've been the people that believe that I actually feel really bad for them. Cause I, I feel like that's the responsibility that's on the media. That's on the media and it's on SJWs for convincing people that they're living in this dark place. That was part of Candace's point, right? Yeah. And, and, and she did a phenomenal job. Um, I thought she was just awesome. And, uh, and frankly, uh, actually getting back to the question of like winning the culture war, she is an example of someone that gives me hope, right? Um, I, yeah. you know, if, if she can start convincing traditionally marginalized groups who have been in pandered to by the left, if she can start convincing them of the values of capitalism and, um, and freedom and, uh, and she's so articulate, it's, it's great. Um, so the more allies, the better. And she's a, she's a great ally in this fight. I don't agree with her about everything, obviously, but, um, you know, what a step forward to have someone like Candace not only have come to prominence, but um, be able to just shut down. I mean, Ted Lieu, he's like, a, you know, I don't want to ad hominem too much, but he's a slime ball from California. He's constantly doing this kind of crap. I was and, shocked. Yeah. And he, you know, he tried to slander her by playing a clip of um, comments she made in response to a question about Hitler. And then he didn't give her, you know, he didn't play the whole thing. He didn't talk about context and he didn't uh, give her a chance to respond. Yeah. Um, and someone to, else did. He does that thing that the media does where they try to make it sound like you're saying one thing, but you're not saying that thing. They do this yeah. all the time. Yeah. And the, look, the left does it a lot more than the right, but um, I, we've just become way too easily outraged. And we're like, as a culture, we're just willing to take everything out of context and assume the worst about what someone could mean, right? Um, if you said like, I don't know if, this will probably be taken out of context. If you said like, oh, Hitler was a good painter. I don't know if he was, but like, <laughs> if you he said like, pretty, someone will be like, you're praising Hitler, you're crappy. a Nazi. Okay, he was a crappy, <laughs> whatever. It doesn't matter. You're like, that'll be taken as like, you support Hitler. Um, right. And that's what he was trying to do to her. And it was just, it, it was just despicable. It was, um, but but it's 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 common, and even the right does it sometimes. Like, I can't stand Ilhan Omar, for example, uh, and I think she's probably is an anti-Semite and has a bunch of problems. But you know, when she criticizes foreign policy about Israel, that's not being anti-Semitic, right? And there there was a thing the other day where she made comments on nine eleven, and like in the context of her comments, look, I couldn't, I can't stand the group she was speaking to, which is Care, which is probably a, a terrorist organization. I can't stand her and her politics. But in the context of what she was saying, you don't need to get outraged. She was describing that, like, some people of our group went and did something bad, but, and that, and then we were all blamed and blah, she blah, blah. talking about 9-11. Yeah, I don't agree with her. And was it the most, like, reverent way to address 9-11? No, but it's also not, like, so outrageous that that needs to be used as an example of, like, how evil oh. she is. Like, policies are evil. We don't have to talk about... Like, we don't have to take, we don't have to like get all bent out of shape because, you know, she used a phrase that didn't, wasn't the most sympathetic. Um, 
So I think, you know, the right does do it as well a little bit, but it's mostly from the left. I would say 99 out of 100 times, it's, it's on the left, and it's, it's crap like Ted Lieu, you know, trying to make Candace Owens, a black, a black woman, look like a Nazi. Um, what an asshole. Oh, it's so uh, ridiculous. I don't, mind, I don't mind ad hominem on Ted. What an asshole. I, yeah, I, was, I, I thought I didn't have any shock left, but I was shocked that, that a congressman would do that. Um, and and uh, I thought she handled it really well. Yeah, she did. Um, so this, I do want to talk about one other thing, Carrie, that might be, maybe it will be triggering for you. I don't know. Um, it might not be, because I, I, uh, I told people <coughs> on Twitter, not that anyone paid attention, but I told some people on Twitter that I was going to address this. Okay. So Allie Stuckley, who, I, Allie Beth Stuckley, I really like Allie. She's a conservative millennial. I think I've seen her on, on Crowder. Uh, and uh, a couple other places. She did a really funny mock interview with uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez a while ago. Which again, she, um, the leftist media tried to pretend like that she was faking. Again, they assumed the word. Right, yeah, yeah, they were like, yeah, fake news. I'm like, yes, it was, it was, it was like the conservative version of, if the Daily Show was conservative, yes. the media would be like, fake news. <laughs> Yeah, she's like, uh, it's satire, guys. Obviously, I didn't interview her. I actually had people argue with me for the longest time who didn't watch it, who just read the left, left news articles about it, who really believed that she was faking a news segment. I know. <laughs> anyway, go ahead. <laughs> You're that dumb. Just shut up. Uh, but anyway, so she, um, Richard Dawkins tweeted something. This is how this started. Richard Dawkins tweeted something. And uh, I'll just read this tweet. He said, national pride has evil consequences. Prefer pride in humanity. And then he goes on. I won't read the whole thing. He goes on to say, you know, German pride gave us Hitler, blah, 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 blah. I don't agree with Dawkins. I wasn't agreeing with Dawkins. Um, but Allie retweeted Dawkins and she said, fascinating to me when atheists use terms like evil. Equally fascinating, equally fascinating when supposed intellectuals have such a stunning misunderstanding of history. So... I didn't have a problem with her second sentence. I, I do think it's fascinating. I think Dawkins is brilliant uh, in many ways, and I like him a lot, and he's retarded in many ways, and it is fascinating to me when he has such a misunderstanding. So I agreed with her about that. But as an atheist who uses the term evil often, um, I pushed back on her and I said, you know, why is it fascinating that, that, some, atheists, that, uh, that some atheists have, have these... More, a moral code with definitions of good and evil is—is is it surprising you, to you that non-Christian religions have moral codes as well? And she went on. I'm not going to read all the tweets, but she went on to, to to cite moral. She says moral law cannot exist without a transcendent moral lawgiver. Um, and this whole thing then spiraled into. I stopped paying attention too much um, because uh, I was actually in the car. I wasn't driving, but I was in the car with my family on a Sunday. And I wasn't going to like get into a, a Twitter war with, <clears throat> with uh, Allie and her followers. But over the course of the next two weeks, it, it did devolve into this like ad hominem Twitter war between atheists and Christians screaming at each other, telling them that they were idiots and um, trolls and Satanists yeah. and all this uh, <laughs> ludicrous stuff back and forth. Um, but I do want to address this because, and, and this isn't going to be a thorough addressing of it, but I, I do want to mention... Um, this idea that you need a, so the idea that you can say, you can use, so Ali, Ali actually uses the words, 
Where is it? She says that this is, I can't find the exact thing, but she uses the word logical. Um, and she's, you know, she makes this argument that it's just, it's, it's not logical. Oh yeah, moral law cannot logically exist without transcendent moral lawgiver. Um, that's just a misunderstanding of what logic is completely. Um, so the basic, she cited C.S. Lewis. The basic argument is there's a universal moral law. If there's a universal moral law, there must be a moral law giver. She's <laughs> like, okay. Um, and he basically says, and then he goes on to make an argument that the lawgiver must be outside of this universe, um, which is also a, a, fall, a, false, a flawed argument, I think. But his main premise is that like, well, because we all have a sense of feeling that something is good or bad, therefore there must be like this universal moral law because we have a feeling of it. And that's not logical. It's not an argument to say that that's why universal law must exist. That's called evolution, right? So we can all have a feeling about something based on evolution. That's not proof that there's a universal moral law. Now you can make arguments other than that, that there's a universal moral law, but the fact that humans, let me even quote C.S. Lewis, human beings all over the earth have this curious idea that they, have, that they ought to behave in a certain way and cannot really get rid of it. So that's his main thing because we have this feeling and we all kind of feel like we shouldn't murder uh therefore there is a universal law and you know my argument is we also feel like we should eat that doesn't mean that there's like uh, <laughs> a being in the sky telling us that we need to eat um that's we can evolve we, we evolved in a society of course we evolved to not kill each other in members of our society that would not be a very good evolution strategy if we had a disagreement and just went around killing each other. Um, so, and, and animals that are members of tribes and, and groups don't kill each other. They kill other tribes, but guess what? So do we. Um, so, like, you know, I don't want to get into whether God exists or not, but uh, it's, it's, a, it's a lazy argument to just say like, oh, well, you need God and you can't use the word evil or good if you don't have God. Um, if you will allow anyone who believes in any God to use the words good or evil, but not anyone who's an atheist, then your concepts of good and evil don't mean anything, right? If, if I believe in the flying spaghetti monster and he has a list of things that are good and you believe in God the Christian God, and he's got a list of things good, and someone else is a Zoroastrian, and someone else is uh, a Scientologist, and the only thing we all have in common is that we all agree that there's some lawgiver. Our definitions of good are all different, right? The Islamic Allah's definition of good is different than the Christian definition of what's good. Allah's definition of evil is different than the Christian definition of evil. Those are different things. And to say that, like, they can use the words good and evil, but atheists can't because they have a moral lawgiver. It doesn't make any sense. It means your, your concepts of good and evil aren't even, they're, they're not even consistent. And to, to disallow an atheist from saying like, hey, actually, I think that you can derive universal moral law. I think that that's the job of philosophy. Not every philosopher agrees that there must be a moral lawgiver. And what happened was, all the Christians immediately thought that that meant moral relativism. And I'm not arguing for moral relativism. Moral, I don't agree with moral relativism, but that doesn't mean that philosophy can't try and figure out, which I think is the job of philosophy, 
what are the universally, like, what are universal ethics? And it's a, I'm not saying it's an easy job, but the fact that it's hard doesn't mean it doesn't exist. I don't know, that's kind of a rant. It wasn't the best rant in the world. But Carrie, <laughs> you want to hate on me for that as a Christian? No, I don't really have any comments on that. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, you disagree with me about something? I don't have any strong, I just, I don't know. I don't really. You don't care. No, I don't. I don't care. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> well, sorry for wasting everyone's time. No, no, you uh, don't waste everyone's time. It's just people are, get passionate about different things. I'm not very passionate about that one way or the other. I think anybody yeah. obviously can use the terms evil and good. I just, I do believe in a moral rule giver. And, uh, no, no, I know you do. Yeah. That, that's, and, and, and I get that. Um, I'm but, sorry. I didn't mean to be rude. I don't, I don't no, have, no, I just don't have anything to say. Right. No. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's the, uh, <coughs> I don't know, to me, it's, it's just, uh, it's weird that people that assume that like, there's only, it's also another f false dichotomy, right? Either you believe in a moral lawgiver, or there's moral relativism. Like, that's a false dichotomy. That is not, that's, yeah. that's not the proof. Those aren't the only two alternatives. Um, right. So, and actually, Keith, I agree with that. Keith, who says this in chat, he says, this is called the divine fallacy, <laughs> quote, I don't, un and this is a quote, I don't understand how this happened or why ethics exist. Therefore, there is one true God who created everything and defines all morals. <laughs> yes, Keith, that is the divine, fa divine fallacy. And I, again, I don't want to get into argument about whether there's a God or not, but uh, you know what? I love, I love Allie. She's great. I'm going to continue to use the, the terms good and evil. I have a right to use the terms good and evil. I actually think I have more of a right than she does to use them uh, because I know why things are good and evil. Um, I've derived them, not so single-handedly, but uh, yeah, anyway. All right, so that's that. We can move on. Carrie doesn't care. Uh, <laughs> Sorry. Carrie, tell us about the religious, speaking about religion. <laughs> oh, wait, should we, do, should we do your bill in Texas or should we do Julian Assange? Because I want to talk about Julian. No, let's not do Julian. I don't really care about that. I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. I'm totally kidding. <laughs> I, 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 I want to. <laughs> no, I'd like to talk about. Well, so if you want me to talk about something religious, um, uh, I mean, I know you. We've talked about this before. I'm really fascinated with my old ideology moving into the church, and oh, at yeah. some point we're going to do a whole episode about this. We just got to find the right guest for it. I, I really like the conversation we had with um, Dr. Uh, J.R. Miller. But that was more specifically about racism. And, I, and I, I think we could do an even broader, you know, just about what the changes that have been happening in different denominations. So I'm a very new Christian, as maybe people who listen know. Um, I don't even like to, I mean, I, 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 I'm always afraid I'm going to misrepresent Christianity. So I'm like, I don't want to talk about it too much because I'm, I'm a real, I mean, well, all, I'm a broken person, right? But that's what Christianity is about, is about broken people. Um, trying to become more like the ideal, which is Jesus. Um, but uh, uh, anyway, this is why I don't talk about it, because I'm afraid I'll say something wrong. <laughs> but, here, but I do know some things in my gut, right? And one of these things is I saw these Christian thought leaders uh, online recently sharing some of these SJW tenants. And like one of them shared that Kyle Corver piece that we talked yeah. about at the beginning. And he was sort of like, hey, white Christians, this is, this is, those of you who ask what you, 
what you want from us. This is, this is a good start. You should do this. Right. And link that piece. And I, I think that's so sick. I think it's wrong. It's, it's elevating a different ideology above the word of God. Like in, in the church, it's just like any other convergence that takes place. Like when SJWs converge at Google, spreading the ideology becomes primary, doing Google stuff becomes secondary, right? Everything's filtered through the ideology. It's the same if any organization, whether it's a company, um, if it's your after school club, it doesn't matter what, it, you know, if, if it's a school, if it's a church, convergence is when the ideology becomes primary. And so I think to say that people have to filter everything through this belief system is, is subverting the word of God. And it's putting other text above the word of God. It's putting all this stuff about toxic masculinity and whiteness and, um, you know, privilege. And, 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 and it's making that the primary text and lens through which you view everything else. And it makes me very sad. Like I, and on the I day, God became woke. Yes. God became woke. I, <laughs> I joined, you know, if anything, Jesus was, he was about individualism in that everyone is equal in the eyes of God, slave and master. Do you know what I mean? It's not, Jesus isn't, he wasn't preaching about collectivism. Like you, he wasn't talking about like, let's judge people based on their race and sex and let's group people, let's group people into these groups and then we'll figure out who gets to talk and who doesn't get to talk. And, you know, based on what amount of privilege they have, none of that is Christian. So it really, it really makes me sad because I, I'm like, I joined, hold on. Sorry guys. I became a Christian. I, that was my old religion. Do you know what I mean? To see that religion now, that cultish, cultish SAW stuff seeping into um, different denominations. Yeah. Just, it makes me uh, sad and also righteously furious. <laughs> so, you can't leave. It's following yeah. you. It's following me. Yeah. But, but then it also, it, it makes me think, well, maybe that is my, so Christians believe every person has a purpose and everyone's purpose is different. This goes back to the idea of you may not agree with everything Candace Owens says, for example, or everything Megan Murphy says, but, but everyone's got a different gift and they're using that gift to glorify God. Well, you don't have to be a Christian to believe that you can just say like, like in this culture war, everyone's got a different gift or different talent or different purpose. And you don't all have to be on the same because everyone's talking to a different community perhaps. Right. So, um, uh, maybe my gift is, is because I know I came from this background, this ideology, maybe my purpose is to figure out how to talk about it in the context of it creeping into the church. Yeah. I mean, you and I were talking about this yesterday a little bit, Carrie, my impression as, I mean, I'm kind of an outsider to Christianity in the sense that I'm an atheist, but I grew up uh, extremely conservative. Very, I've read the Bible like six or seven times, cover to cover. Um, and so I'm not unfamiliar with Christianity. And um, I think what's happened culturally is that the church used to be a cultural leader. Um, and people would turn to the church for uh, advice and kind of just general cultural guidance and what's happened to the church, uh, I, don't know, I don't know when this started happening. I mean, it's probably, probably started decades and decades ago. But at this point, the church really is a follower of culture now more than a leader. Um, people, uh, if you look at like 
attendance rates at a lot of churches. I mean, there was an article I saw where someone was, was uh, uh, theorizing that, I don't know if you shared it, shared it, Carrie, or not, but like the reason the Episcopalian church <laughs> sanctioned uh, gay marriage was because like marriages in the Episcopalian church had like fallen off massively <laughs> and were zero. And they're like, well, we need someone to marry. Um, so I, I think what's happened is there's been an abandonment of turning to the church for any kind of cultural leadership and church leaders, uh, I think, are probably feeling the need to follow culture rather than the other way around. And again, I'm saying this as an atheist, but that's not your job as a church leader. Like, if you're going to believe in something and you think that that's metaphysically true, and and especially if you're like uh, like like Ali Stuckley, who's like, hey, there's a universal moral law, and this is the lawgiver. That should be your priority. Take it seriously. Either take it seriously or don't be a Christian. You want to not be a Christian, I can talk to you about that. You want to take it seriously, maybe Carrie can talk to you about that. But like, at least take the ideas seriously. Ideas matter. And so you're not, if you're like in a church, not actually being a Christian, you're not like, and you're, you know, social justice is more important, then you're not a Christian. And like, what's the point of being there? Just go be, yeah. go, go be, do your social justice religion elsewhere. You know, I, I, uh, I don't know. I was all kind of, I, I think I'm becoming really uh, conservative in some ways. I'm not a conservative. I saw so I'm very liberal in a lot of ways as well, but I am becoming, I guess, more of a traditionalist in that regard because I'm like, yeah, if you're going to do it, do it right. Don't, um, don't try and filter it through the modern culture. You know. Yeah. So Keith just said, "Is religion now downstream from culture?" So this is a re- that's that's actually a fascinating question. I think it is, but I think that's partly because. Um. Okay, so I have to go off on a tangent for a second. Uh, <laughs> Please do. I think I think there's so ultimately I think it's f- the the flow goes philosophy philosophy flows to culture culture flows to politics right so. And most people don't pay attention to philosophy, so um, it's easy to it's easy for the the evil philosophers to get their hooks in in culture because they do it through the universities and kind of elite channels that not everyone is paying attention to. And and before you know it, every movie out of Hollywood vilifies the big business owner and praises politicians or whatever it is, right? Um, and and that that affects culture, therefore, and 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 then eventually politics. Religion is weird because, and, and maybe Carrie will disagree with me on this, but uh, I think religion is a substitute for philosophy. So, and, and maybe some religious people would argue that religion is philosophy. Um, I would argue that religion is a substitute for philosophy, but it doesn't, either way, it's typically upstream of culture. Um, but I think nihilism has won philosophically. And so our culture is nihilistic. And so religion has been, um, how do I want to say this? Yeah, religion is struggling to regain its status as the, um, as being upstream of culture. But I think it's not upstream of culture anymore because the, the, the kind of nihilist, nihilism kind of won philosophically. And so, the problem with nihilism is that it's not, I mean, there's a lot of problems with nihilism. Other philosophies could win 
um, and kind of take over culture. Like, for example, or let's even pick another religion. Islam could could kind of win philosophically or religiously and then flow into a culture and you would have an Islamic culture and therefore Islamic law. Um, to pick an, a non, to pick another example, uh, you could have uh, just one that I'm familiar with. You could pick like objectivism, like a- any philosophy. You could pick objectivism and like that could win at the philosophical level and it would bleed into culture and then culture would bleed into politics and, th- and that would flow. Nihilism is different because nihilism is kind of anti-philosophy. So nihilism is really the destruction of any philosophy, which means we're kind of being, um, we're, we don't really have philosophic drivers right now other than this constant battle to destroy any philosophic drivers from the nihilists. So I feel like we're kind of culturally like this ship being tossed about in, um, in the ocean. And so the church is just trying to kind of like react to like, well, where are things going? I need to like get people on board and, you know, there's no one driving culture. If, if there was a different philosophy driving culture, uh, the church could take a stance against that, right? And say like, oh, no, we're this different philosophy. But there isn't really a philosophy driving. It's nihilism and it's kind of one. So we're kind of a mess. Someone needs to take a stand. And I think the churches that do take a stand will probably be, end up being more successful in the long term, um, as will any philosophy that takes a stand, which is why, for example, I think Islam is a threat because Islam takes a stand against nihilism. Um, and it, that's more attractive than nihilism, as, as horrible as Islam is. Um, if Christianity were to take a stand against nihilism, that would be better. Uh, I would rather have like a rational uh, objectivist style philosophy take a stand against nihilism and win. To me, that would be even better. But um, I don't know, that's just kind of off the top of my head. That's my answer to your question, Keith. I think that's, that's really interesting what you said about Islam taking a stand. I've seen a couple of other people point that out as well. It's like, um, I think, is it in, in, in the UK where these Muslim parents banded together and got the, the public, like the elementary school to root out the transgender stuff that they were teaching. And right. I saw some people kind of commenting, wow, like, look, these, these uh, Islamic parents were able to do what the Christian parents were not which was to say, no, that's, you're, you're not going to be teaching that to my children. Um, so I, I don't know. That's, that's kind People of an prefer consistent adherence to principles over inconsistent adherence to non-principles. Yes. Like, so that's the thing. If like, if someone is offering consistent adherence to rational principles as an alternative and, and they're sticking by that, that's more attractive than Islam. But if no one's offering that, well, <laughs> consistency like to something is more attractive to people generally. I'm not saying it's right. It's just more attractive. Um, and so I, even as an atheist, I'd much rather the Christian churches in the West take a freaking stand and, uh, and, and exhibit some sort of principled uh, alternative because frankly, it's much easier to live as an atheist under a, Christian capitalist, you know, individualist society than it is to live in Islam. Yeah. That's a, that's a fascinating point though. I want to think about that some more. Yeah. That's <laughs> all the top of my head too. I don't, I didn't really think too deep. Okay. Can we talk about Julian Assange? Please. Does anyone not want us to talk about it? I mean, there's a few people in chat. I want to talk about Julian Assange. If, any, if no one wants to talk about Julian Assange, we don't have to, but I want to talk about Julian Assange. And if Gary does, we're going to talk about 
Go right ahead, sir. Uh, <coughs> so everyone knows who he is. He's the founder of Wiki, WikiLeaks. <laughs> um, so what happens today, the news today on Julian Assange is that he's been extradited. I guess, uh, I guess the U.S., I don't know if it was the U.S. agents or the U.K. agents, someone snagged him out of the Ecuadorian embassy and, uh, and is bringing him back. Um, and uh, he has been charged, I have the indictment, with conspiracy to commit computer intrusion. Um, and I read, I read the charges against him. Um, actually, there's one charge, uh, one count of conspiracy to commit computer intrusion. It's a pretty short, um, short document. <sighs> Where do I begin with Assange? Um, first of all, he's not a U.S. citizen. Let's just, let's lay some facts out. So what he's in trouble for is Chelsea Manning, um, formerly Bradley Manning, uh, who remember, if, if people remember, Bradley Manning was the person who uh, released a bunch of classified information, um, sent it to WikiLeaks, WikiLeaks published it. Uh, he was in the military. I don't, I don't remember she now, I guess, was in the military. I don't remember what branch she was in. Um, but... Navy. Uh, my dig at Navy people is uh, probably the Navy because she had a sex change. Um, so uh, <laughs> I don't know what that dig means, but go right ahead. <laughs> uh, I used to I used to work with people in the military. Although uh, Keith, actually, you worked with the Navy uh, as well. So anyway, um, she released information through WikiLeaks, <clears throat> which was classified. And what they're charging is that at some point during this process. Um, she, Julian, I guess, offered to help crack a password, never actually did crack the password. Um, just like offered to help and said it wasn't making any progress on it. Um, and also kind of like, I guess, incited Chelsea to release the documents. Like, so it was, you know, telling her, yeah, we'll release it and you should get more information for us. Now, um, <clears throat> this is, there's a couple interesting things to me about this whole thing. Um, first of all, let me just say, I am, I think Julian Assange should be pardoned. I don't think he should be charged in the first place. Uh, I don't see anything wrong with what Julian Assange did. Uh, I, there may not even be, I, I'm not a lawyer. There's not a lot legally wrong with what he did. There may be some kind of thing. I mean, this is a pretty weak charge. Conspiracy to commit computer intrusion is a pretty weak charge, let's admit. Um, but even if there's a, something that he's done that legally is wrong, morally, I don't think he's done anything wrong. Um, however, for the past two years, all these Trump collusion Russia people, Rachel, Rachel Maddow and everyone else has been yelling at, about how Trump is still conspiring with Julian Assange. They're in cahoots together to cover this up and to do this. And they were in cahoots on the Russia thing. It turns out uh, that we, we now know as of today that for the past two years, the Trump Department of Justice has been trying to extradite Julian Assange so they could charge him with shit. So not exactly the best of friends um, kind of blows up another conspiracy theory from the left about Trump's campaign and Trump in bed with people that he's not in bed with. Uh, I guess they're right about Stormy Daniels, but not, not much else. Um, so he, uh, he's been after Assange, as it turns out. So Assange has now been extradited for this one charge, conspiracy to commit computer intrusion. And I just want to explain how this works um, from a, or from why my perspective is that Julian Assange hasn't done anything wrong. Um, 
Chelsea Manning had a top secret clearance. Now, uh, I've had a top secret clearance. Um, Keith has had a, at least a secret clearance. Uh, maybe a top secret clearance. I don't know, Keith. I don't want to reveal it. He, Keith is in the chat here, so I'm talking to him <laughs> live. Uh, I've had a top secret clearance. I had a top secret compartmentalized clearance. Um, <sighs> Am I the only one who's never had a top secret clearance? Apparently. Um, <laughs> I had to sign a document agreeing to protect information. So if I were to leak information, um, you could rightly charge me with violating my promise. I made a promise to the United States to not release information. So did Keith, so did anyone else who, who signed a document like that. So, um, so I've signed a document saying I won't, I won't release this information. Um, you haven't, Carrie. Um, neither have journalists, neither have reporters from the New York Times, which is why when classified information gets leaked, uh, they could publish it because they didn't sign this document. Mm -hmm. They didn't say, hey, uh, I, I promise to keep this secret. Now, the person who leaked it will get in trouble and should, um, but... But the journalist should not. I hear what you're saying. That's freedom of the press. To make matters worse... Julian Assange is not an American citizen. <laughs> He's not a citizen of the United States. He didn't do this in the United States. He is, uh, he's outside of the jurisdiction of the US. They admit that he did this stuff while he was outside of the jurisdiction. It's a weak charge in the first place. And their argument is, well, because he's not a US citizen, he doesn't have rights as a US citizen. And therefore we're gonna charge him with this thing related to publishing stuff that someone else violated the law to get. It's pretty abhorrent to me. And the thing that um, I've been thinking about this, obviously I understand that governments need, uh, <laughs> that governments need to have some information secret if you're gonna have governments, you know, my, my, my anarchy notwithstanding. If you're gonna have a government, it needs to have secret information, especially military related information. However, uh, it seems like if that information reveals, if, if, if information, is revealed that it shouldn't that shouldn't have been revealed, but that turns out to demonstrate that what the government agencies or organizations were doing was actually unconstitutional and illegal. Edward Snowden being an example of of someone who's released material like this seems like that should be uh, enough to be forgiven, right? So uh, you need to have some protection for people who reveal things that are illegal now i don't know that chelsea revealed things that were illegal i don't remember exactly what was released but this whole thing's getting me think of edward snowden as well and like if a government is allowed to have secrets okay but it seems like whistleblowers who reveal um illegal activity should be protected right it, it shouldn't be it should be like yeah you can't release any of our information unless it turns out we're doing something illegal and then you can um and you can't be charged so, because there needs to be some kind of, uh, there needs to be some kind of checks and balances here. And obviously FISA courts, as we've learned, uh, aren't really a great <laughs> check and balance for what governments can and can't do. So I don't understand, I don't understand um, the argument for going after Julian Assange here. If anyone in the chat wants to go after Julian Assange, I'd love to hear the argument for it. Um, as far as I can see, the argument for going after Julian is like patriotism, 
which is not an argument, right? I don't like, he published stuff. Like, yeah, so what? He published stuff. Big deal. He didn't get it, right? Well, even if, is... even if he helped crack it, he never signed any documents saying he wouldn't do that. Carrie? Uh, well, my only comment on this is that I, I don't have a lot of thoughts on it other than that uh, Trump is probably feeling the pressure to prosecute now, right? Because right. because of what you said, there's been this uh, allegation, this idea that he somehow cahoots with Assange. So what better way to show he's not than to prosecute? So, um, but I, I agree with you. I don't, I don't think he, I don't think he did anything wrong. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, so Keith says he'll likely be tried in Eastern Virginia federal court district, a jury of federal employees and families. Oh yeah. Great. It is. a And then he says it's a kangaroo court. Yeah. Uh, I think you're probably right. Um, his peers, what's going to be considered as a jury of his peers is a bunch of CIA and FBI and DOD employees, hmm. right? <laughs> right. And as Keith points out, his peers are actually Australian, uh, which is true. His peers, uh, but I don't know if he has a right to a trial by jury of his peers because he's not an American citizen. I think their argument, I don't know, I don't know what the argument is here. I, I don't really understand how you can pull someone out of a foreign country, extradite them and charge them for uh, committing crimes against U.S. law. They weren't even on U.S. soil during commission of those crimes. Um, it's pretty weak, but apparently, apparently that's where we are now. So um, I don't know, maybe on his way out, Trump will pardon Assange. He certainly should. Um, but uh, yeah, Keith, the government does not want citizens to know what they're doing. Yeah, and he didn't, that's the other thing. He didn't publish anything false. Everything he published was true. Mm. Um, and uh, so there we are. There we are with Julian Assange getting... Uh, getting extradited. It's a shame. I don't know what we're going to do. I think we've kind of run, I've run out of my list of things. I mean, I didn't get into some of the stuff as much as I wanted to. Like I was hoping to have a longer discussion about uh, uh, my, the Ali Beth Stuckley thing, but you just didn't care. So that's fine. <laughs> want to talk about anything else you want to talk about, Carrie? Are we good? <laughs> Anyone wants to talk about it? We can end the show. It's, uh, it's an hour and a half in. Uh, there's no shame in ending the show now, but uh want to touch on anything uh and everything we will have a guest back next week i think um but we just really wanted to have a week where it was just us we got to get caught up on things um there's been a lot of people really want to by the way carrie if you're not paying the chat paying attention to the chat people really do want to talk about the um sjw intrusion into uh churches so we should find someone and get them on the show i really ASAP. want to talk about that yeah working on it but let's uh, we'll, we'll bump it up priority wise so yeah so there you have it uh, well, speaking right. of religious, there's, there's that one other thing I'll just say is that religious liberty bill here in Texas. Um, this is just the, an example of the way that I see propaganda spread, and it was fascinating to me to watch it, was I had a friend who is not here in Texas, but who shared something about how uh, Texas just passed or is about to pass a bill that would allow psychologists to discriminate against gay and, gays and lesbians and not treat them. And yeah, and I looked into the bill and it's a, it's a really short bill. It's like a page and a half and it's, it's a religious liberty bill. And it's, it's basically saying that the, the government, the state cannot take away your license. If you're a licensed professional, whether you're a doctor, or, you know, cosmetologist or whatever, they can't take away your uh, license or refuse to give you your license 
because of a deeply held religious belief, um, which I actually support. I think that's a great idea. And, th- and there's nothing in the bill about specifically, there's nothing in the bill about psychologists specifically or LGBT, but a lot of groups, SJW groups have put out, of course, their talking points about it. And so I think my friend was just sharing the talking points. But when you actually look at the bill, I was like, so what, what do you, you know, what exactly do you have issue with here? Because, and, and so she, she had, she quoted something that had like, you know, section B. So it looked like it was in the bill, but it's not, she was quoting propaganda. She quoted a sentence that's not even in there um, that people, and then people on her wall, of course, it's how fake news spreads. People on her wall, of course, are like, that's horrible. Texas is horrible, blah, blah, blah. You know, and they're going to, they're not going to read the bill. They're not going to read the articles. They're just going to believe this is happening. And then they're going to go and tell people. And that's the way propaganda works. <laughs> so yeah. it just really kind of upset me because I, uh, I think when you look at it, I even asked her, I was like, so uh, do you, you know, I don't think that a, a Christian baker should be forced to bake, to bake a cake to provide a service for a gay wedding if it goes against his beliefs, gay marriage, right? Uh, any more than I believe there, you know, there's that, that Muslim uh, woman who's, no, it's the transgender woman who's suing a Muslim woman for refusing to wax her genitals at the salon. Um, because the Muslim woman, and, and it doesn't matter. Let's just be clear. Oh yeah. Yeah. His, and you know what? Take trans out of it. The Muslim woman, if it were just like a man, she doesn't, she's not, her religion would state that she should not be performing that service on a man. Um, and so I don't think the state, I don't think it's right for the state to step in and say, you will perform this service. I think that you must look at this man's genitals and wax right. his balls. Yeah, yeah, or or you and I think that's just so backwards. And so I was trying to have a conversation with her about it, but it she's sort of new to SJW ideology, and so she was sort of throwing out some of the standard stuff I'm used to hearing, which is about lived experience. And what you know, if you guys hear that, that's a buzzword they use. Like my lived experience. What does lived experience mean other than like you lived and had experiences like everyone it else? Just, in the front it just it just means you can't disagree with me because I'm a member of this particular marginalized group. Oh, I- and so, and they elevate lived experience above any facts or reason or logic. So, well, logic is uh, the white man's uh, <laughs> yes. tool, right? Um, but, but so I was like, do you think that the Muslim woman should be forced to do that? Do you think the cake baker should be forced to do that? Do you, th- and and do you think like a doctor who's against abortion should be forced to perform an abortion if his religion states otherwise? Like, I just don't, I don't agree with that. And and I don't know what it's like in in 2019 in in her state. But in Texas, it's not like those people out here just salivating at the chance to find a loophole to, you know, discriminate against gays. And, oh, I can't wait until this bill passes so I can refuse to serve. Gay. I don't, I don't, it's, it's not like this is a huge thing. It's, it's actually just, it's a bill to protect people's rights, right? Um, uh, wait, I want to, I want to interrupt because I, because Keith is pointing out something that I agree with. What? Uh, he says, deeply held religious beliefs should not confer special rights than the rest of us don't have. So if, if it's not a right, so, so, so if so, it's not a right. So no religious belief should be considered a valid argument in U.S. court, um, which I agree with. Uh, although I also kind of agree with you, but not completely, Carrie. You and I mm. talked about this yesterday. I want to throw that out there. Um, I want to throw out the idea that may be unpopular, but uh, you should be allowed to discriminate for any reason whatsoever. 
It's none of the government's business why you're not waxing someone's balls. It can be because you're a racist bigot. It can be because you have religious beliefs. It be because you don't like the color of their shirt because you don't want to. It doesn't matter. Um, whenever you have, at the end of every government regulation is a gun. That's why it's the government. You are forced, by force, to do it, or you go to jail. That's what a law is. That's what a regulation is, and people need to understand that. So does it, are you an asshole bigot if you say, I don't want black people to come in my restaurant? Yeah, absolutely you are. Should you be allowed to do that? Absolutely. Should you be subject to social pressure in your community that uh, where no one goes to your restaurant and calls you a racist? Yeah. Absolutely. I, yeah. I, I will also jump on board and call you a racist and tell people not to go to your restaurant. But should the government force you? No. And there's a huge difference here. And we've got a, a generation of people who have been raised to believe that instead of social pressure, laws should, should be passed. And that is extremely dangerous because you're going to get into these situations where like, sorry, Muslim lady, got to shave his balls or whatever it is she's supposed to be doing. Well, I, I, I actually, I think I agree with that for the most part. I have, I have to think about it some more, but but the other the other thing about this is, and I was saying to her because she she was saying, well, like a psychologist should have to treat a gay person. I'm like, why would you want? Okay, let's say there's a psychologist who's who doesn't want to to treat a gay person, either because they're prejudiced or because they have a real concern that they're not going to give that person the best help possible because of their views, their, their religious views. Um, isn't that horrible for the gay person to force them to, to, for that therapist to have to treat them? Like maybe the, maybe the gay person should keep looking and find someone who doesn't right. either hold that prejudice or have that religious belief that's, that they're going to filter everything through. Like it doesn't help the person you claim it's helping, you know? No. So I don't, I, you know what, if, if somebody doesn't want to bake a wedding cake for me, and they're forced to, I'm going to be afraid about what they put in the cake. Like they might spit in it. Do you know what I mean? Like, I don't want them to have to make the cake. Like I'll find sure. somebody and who wants to make the cake. At me. the end of the day, right. If you have any kind of, if any kind of discrimination like that is outlawed. Um, and I'm talking about public or not public uh, institutions, I'm talking about private people, private institutions. If any discrimination is outlawed, um, that is outlawing it. You have to, um, it presupposes you understand thoughts right? It, like you can't, so if you say like, oh, you refused to serve this black person the hamburger. Well, now you have to decide like, did I do it because that's the guy who shot up my car the other day or because uh, I don't like him for some other reason or because I was out of hamburgers or because whatever, or did I do it because I'm a racist bigot, right? Mm -hmm. And now you got to get in my head and you got to figure out like, well, you know, did he give the last hamburger to the white guy first, knowing that the black guy wanted one or like, now you've got to like get into my brain and make determinations about my thought process. And any law that, that tries to outlaw some form of discrimination has to, it presupposes that you have the ability to enter someone's brain and decide what it is that they're, they're, you know, right. this is how they're making their decisions. Right? right. And granted, there's some obvious cases. If you have a restaurant, you have a sign that says no black people allowed. Well, you know, obviously you're, you're probably, obviously it's a racist thing. Right. But. And you're doing that to the race. Sure. But, you know, in general, you have to, you have to, I'm, that's because I'm telling you my thought process with my sign in my window. Right. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, 
this idea that like, I just, I don't know. I, I want society to move forward. And to do that, we have to exert social pressure, not have laws because laws just backfire. Like laws backfire. Laws presuppose that you understand people's thought process. And, um, you know, laws are force and it's not better. If someone's a bigot, you're not morally superior because you force them back gunpoint to serve someone they hate. By the that way, makes Laura, you- Laura and Chet just continue with this train of thought about it being not better for the person who's getting the service. She's like, <laughs> so someone <laughs> doesn't want to yeah. wax your balls. You really should move along. Things won't end well. <laughs> Laura, you're completely correct. Yeah, I don't uh-huh. want that person waxing me. Yeah, <laughs> they don't want to. Oops, I used the wrong wax or, like, or whatever. It is. Like, imagine if you force a hairdresser to give you. Yeah, I don't want you doing my hair. You're gonna mess it up. You don't want to. Yeah, do it. <laughs> yeah. Um. So I, it's uh, this whole idea. It's again. It's this this whole idea of um having the government treat people like groups and police people and force them to you know either hire or 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 perform services for or whatever. Um. It never ends well. It's always immoral, even if the other person is immoral, even if it's a racist bigot and you're preventing them from being a racist bigot in some, or from manifesting that behavior in some way, you're still doing it at gunpoint. That doesn't make you better. Um, and uh, you know what? Racist bigots should be shunned and socially ostracized and no one should go to their hamburger joints or whatever it is. And, and if, this, if these waxing people really are somehow discriminating against people in a way that society thinks is bad, then don't frequent their establishments. Right. Exactly. Um, and tell your friends not to frequent, you know? Right. And if your friends all look at you and go, dude, you got balls. Of course, she's not going to wax them. Well then you're going to have to learn to wax your own <laughs> quote, <laughs> female parts. Find somebody who will. There's plenty of people. It's like that guy uh, who was, who was harassing Megan Murphy or got into the tangle with Megan Murphy that, you know, He's got 16 open lawsuits where he's specifically going out, uh, this, this uh, trans woman, and I, and I will not use his pronoun. It's up to me when I use it. Most of the time I do, but not with him because I think he's disgusting. And I think what sure. he's, he's doing, trying to do to her and to women, is working women is disgusting. He's out there purposefully looking for women who have an objection to doing male genitals so that he can sue. He's a grifter, yep. the con man. Yeah, and, absolutely. And, it, and, and he's and hurting he working class women. That. Yeah. And doesn't he have a history of doing lawsuits? Like uh, oh, yeah. not just this, like any uh, other stuff too, just frivolous like slip lawsuits. And, slip and fall lawsuits. Yeah. All that stuff. Con yeah. man. Yeah. Totally a con man. And you know, um, yeah, I, I think it's fine. You don't have to use his, his preferred pronoun. Um, <laughs> Chelsea Manning. I don't mind. I don't mind saying she, I don't think she's. Oh yeah. I don't mind that. saying she. And it, it depends on the person. That's the whole thing about it is like, look, whenever people get into the pronoun thing with me and they're like, Oh, but it's what, how's, why is it so hard for you to be polite? You know, I'm like, it's not, that's the whole point. And if this person deserves politeness and respect then they'll get it from me, but it's my choice on an individual basis. It shouldn't be up to the law forcing me to yep. do that. So yeah. that's my thoughts on that, Carter. That's a final rant. <laughs> All right, go go rant. So uh, I think we've touched on everything yeah. at this point. Uh, we did the religious liberty bill. Let me look through my list. I think we touched on everything. It's you know what, Carrie. I really feel like we needed to um, wait. Miranda Yardley offered to personally. I don't know who that is. Who's Miranda Yardley? I know that name. I, I imagine anyway. this is funny because it says Miranda Yardley personally offered to wax his balls. Um, 
I don't know so, what that means, but okay. Uh, <laughs> we'll look it up. My guess is it's someone who he would not want waxing his balls. <laughs> okay. That's just my, my theory on that one. Um, anyway, look, uh, Carrie, this was really good. I, um, I think I we just needed, we really needed to get caught up just kind of with our community and, uh, and with each other talking about a bunch of stuff uh, instead of interviewing people. We'll bring back interviews next week. But um, yeah, thank you for doing this. And thank everyone else for uh, getting us to 500. Our next goal is 1,000 YouTube subscribers. So let's get there. Once we have 1,000, I don't know. I think it unlocks something and in, in... It'll unlock an achievement award. Um, so everyone, yes. we, we're not... I mean, we have a Patreon. We're just not pushing it yet. We, we will at some point be be asking soon. for people to support us soon right but what you can do in the meantime if you want to support is definitely just share the videos if you can or like them or whatever give us those metrics yeah and there's <laughs> if you go to unsafespace.com you can if there's a link to the patreon there's a link to actually actually you can send us bitcoin and ether uh as well um to support us if you're that kind of person um but uh yeah right now it's liking and sharing me, you can send me dog biscuits you can send Carrie dog biscuits. <laughs> you can send someone to watch the dogs during the show on yeah, Thursdays. Yeah, how about that? <laughs> so that would also be great. Uh, but uh, yeah, thank you everyone for joining um, and for supporting us so much. Uh, sorry, I'm just mucking with my... we also a producer. Anyone who wants to be a free producer, <laughs> come on over. Um, so anyway, yeah, thank you for joining. Thank you for uh, watching the show. Please like, share, uh, do all that kind of stuff. And we will see you all uh, next week. Take care.